even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the things I feel um, a responsibility to do uh, as one of your pastors is, is to constantly lay the gospel in front of you. I had, uh, I talked about um, several weeks, probably my first week here, I had an intern uh, over the past couple of years, his name was Kale. Kale was an MDiv student that came and worked uh, at our church in our student ministry. Uh, yes, Kale liked the vegetable. Um, that's how he introduced himself. And Kale was, again, theologian, bright kid, bright future, pastors in Ohio now, just, I think, the world of him and his wife, Susie. And one of the things Kale was great at as a young guy was reminding me of the relevance of the good news of Jesus in every year of my life. And uh, always put this challenge before me, uh, like interns do, full of veracity and uh, like I'm ready to go, always put the challenge before me uh, of this idea of re-gospeling ourselves, like reintroducing ourselves to the gospel message, to the good news of Jesus. Um, uh, and I think that's such an important thing to do, um, especially as we live in Babylon. We're, we're kind of circling the drain here on our time in the book of Daniel. We got this week, and then uh, Pastor Nathan's going to preach next week uh, and close out our time studying what it looks like for us to, to live in a space, in a place that is not how God intended it. Um, and I think it's so relevant for us in those moments to remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus because the good news of Jesus can feel far away when things aren't as they should be. Again, we've talked about it before, but we live in this uh, dichotomy of already but not yet. Like we already can trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for the salvation of, uh, of all mankind and for the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And then there's this not yet of, uh, of but things aren't as they should be. Like we have the fullness of the work of Jesus here. And then, and then the not yet is like God is actively restoring all things unto himself. And, and you look around and go, but there's still brokenness in the world. And we go, yeah, that's the not yet. And so the tension is living in between those two things, and that's why it's so important for us to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and, and, and what he did. I really appreciate, when I was here for my uh, candidacy weekend, uh, I was sitting in, I don't, Jim, I don't know whose small group to call it, but it was, I'm, I'm, Jim Landis gave this great observation that I really appreciate. He said, he was talking about his testimony, and he used the phrase, inoculated to Christianity, like inoculated to the way of Jesus. Inoculation being uh, like, a, like a, I've been vaccinated, so I have enough inside of me that I'm immune to it now, and I just kind of waltz and wander through my day without really noticing the side effects or the differences or, or things like that. And I so appreciate that because I think as probably how a good chunk of us, myself included, uh, struggle to live our lives. That like we have enough Jesus in us that, that we are uh, like, yeah, Jesus. I am pro-Jesus. Big fan of his work. Um, 
but then it's not molding or shaping like the deep parts of our lives. And, and there's this like little bit undone. And so my goal today is to, again, talk to us just briefly about what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is, and, and what it means for us. And, um, and then my prayer is that we'll take that good news to the far, far reaches of Vermilion County and beyond, and that ultimately uh, Vermilion County, Danville, surrounding area will begin to be shaped and, and, and formed to look more like the kingdom of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, like far past the book uh, of Daniel, far past the life of Daniel, and, and we're going to go to the creation account, and, and we're going to start with the, the, the fact, just the absolute, that God is good. God is good, and, and more than just God being good, God is goodness, like out of God because he is good as an attribute. It's not that God does good things like, oh, I baked my neighbor a pie. I did a good thing. I picked up trash off the street. I did a good thing. It goes a step beyond that because God is good so much so that out of that goodness, it just kind of bubbles up and overflows into everything around him. Like, like, he's so good, categorically, by definition, he's so good that the only, like, logical, uh, sensical thing that could be done out of that goodness is to create, is to make, is to form, and to fashion. Because God is so good that out of that goodness flows everything. So we, we struggle to understand this because like we've never experienced in our comings and goings, we've never experienced someone that's this good, but out of God's goodness, everything flows because God, again, categorically is good. And because God is good, guess what happens when the goodness bubbles up and it overflows and he begins to create and to form and to fashion? He makes things, but by the breath of his mouth, he makes things. And then every time he makes things, what does he do? He looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. So God is good. Out of that goodness, he creates it, and it's good, and it's right, and it's how it should be. Everything is just working together as God intended it. And then on top of this, the crown jewel of his creation, as he looks on the blank canvas of the universe and creates things like duck-billed platypuses and trees and... and other things that I don't know why my mind went blank of other things that are creative in creation, but he creates <laughs> duckbill platypuses and trees are the two, are the two that came to mind for some reason. As he creates everything, uh, he he then uh, says there's there's something missing, and he creates humans. He creates mankind, and he looks at them. And he says they're good. They're good. Why are they good? He gives this uh, little extra something to them. And uh, the, the Godhead looks at humanity and he says, I'm going to make them in my image. 
And so on every single person that has ever been created, and on the first man and woman that were created, God looks at them, and he gives the thumbprint of his image. Now this is, uh, Amanda and I have, have two boys. Hudson, our oldest, is a spitting image of Amanda. Like, if you see five-year-old pictures of Amanda, you see Hudson with long hair. Twins. Miles, spitting image of me. The boy is incredibly good looking. Um, <laughs> he, he, he just has it going on. Um, but spitting image of me. When we're talking about uh, God's image on us, I don't know, if you just take a quick survey of the room, I'm in a, a great place here, we all look incredibly different. Now, there's family units, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, see kids in each of them, but you know, this is like, uh, we all look different, so what is God's image? But God's image, I think, is that deeper thing that we're talking about, that imprint of goodness and rightness and wholeness and, uh, and holiness. Like though the attributes are the things that as he looked at us, he put the thumbprint on. And here's why. Here's why. Because then he gave the first man and the woman, he gave them a, a mandate. He said, I want you to go. I want you to fill this newly created earth. And I want you to subdue it. So go. Have babies, make more, make more people, and then take dominion over the world. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we come to the realization that this is more than like species survival. This is more than like organizational continuity and like, well, I made them and I said they were good and they were in my image and so I want to make sure they're around for a long time. I think it's more than that. I think what God is doing is that as he gives us the thumbprint, the, 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 the image bearer status that we look like God, and then he says, go fill up the earth. I think what he's doing is, again, out of the overflow of his goodness, out of the overflow of like, I am the author of everything good because I myself am good. Out of the overflow of that, he's saying the world needs to be filled with my goodness. And so he gives this mandate to say, go fill the earth so that when you all look around and when the universe looks upon this world that I've created... They see the thumbprint of my goodness. They see, they see uh, my image being reflected and magnified in all of the world. And this, brothers and sisters, is the original intent of why you and I were created. There's a lot of good things we can do. There's a lot of right things we can do. But the, the most right thing we could do is to magnify who God is, to be a representative for who God is on this earth. That when someone looks at you, when someone looks at you, they are able to go, ah, there's something just beautiful and holy and good and right about who you are in your essence, not necessarily the acts or the actions that you partake in, but in your essence, there's something good. There's something right. There's something holy. can't totally explain it, but I see it. But what happens next in the creation account? 
the first man and woman have this, this mandate, fill the earth and subdue it. They start working along on it. And, and God gives them total reign of all of his creation, except one. He, he, he says, uh, there's one tree in everything I've created. Just don't eat from it, okay? Do anything else you want. Go swimming with the duck-billed platypuses. Do, do, do whatever you want, but just don't, don't eat from this one tree. Now, this seems like, uh, like a little bit of a trap because I talked about it. I've got kids. The moment I say don't do something, anyone who's a parent, what is like the natural inclination? I'm going to go, I'm going to either do it or see how close I can get to doing it without getting in trouble. And I've had people ask me before, and I've often wondered, why did God even give the opportunity? Like, why create everything and say, go have at it, accept? Here's why I believe. Because if the world was created and God said, I am goodness, I'm imprinting my image within you and upon you so that you can reflect the world, and I want you to be in this love relationship with me, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's not love. That's slavery. To go, you will follow me, absolutely, uh, that's the end of the conversation. But instead, God saw that like, he wanted to be in this love relationship with his creation. And so uh, the option for disobedience had to be created. Otherwise, it's not a love relationship, it's slavery. And so God uh, sets this in motion, and he exists. He walks with the first man and woman in the garden. He, he does all of these things. And slowly but surely, through someone called the deceiver, the liar, the one who leads astray, slowly but surely, their hearts begin to disform. And the deceivers start to whisper in their ear, God's not really, like, surely he didn't say that, right? I mean, to look, at, look around, we got all this beautiful stuff, and he tells you, don't eat from this one tree? What a joke. Do you see how beautiful the tree is? How good could God be? He's trying to hold back from me. He knows that if you eat this, if you disobey him and, and do this one thing, he knows you'll just become like him. He knows, he knows X, Y, or Z, fill in the blank for whatever the deceiver whispers into your ear. He knows if you disobey that like, you'll just have the time of your life and he's just a giant stick in the mud and doesn't want you to do that. And so they begin to have the conversations of, well, surely God didn't mean that, right? And slowly but surely... Their hearts are shaped. Hearts are formed. I don't know what the time frame looked like, but eventually they walk up to it. Take a bite. Hudson has uh, a children's book that I adore. Um, he has several that I adore. There's so many Jesus-centered children's books that are being created Beautiful resources. We will read them in this context at some point. But I love the, how it personifies and puts into words what happened in this moment. Uh, again, I, I, don't, 
I think because I think it paints a picture for us of, of the devastation uh, that happened in this in this one act of disobedience that their hearts had been shaped to be far from God and that they, they did this act of disobedience. And again, I don't think this is necessarily scriptural, but I, I think it goes along with it enough to go like, yeah, this is what happened. Because it, it says as soon as they, they took the bite, uh, all of a sudden like this deer like stops and looks like he was frightened by something like that has never happened before because they existed in this, uh, this habitat of safeness and peace and unity and rightness and goodness and that the, the deer flittered off because it was worried about something and like uh, a dark cloud fell over the sky and I can't, I can't tell you what it looked like but I see the effects of the disobedience today. Things weren't as they should have been. Now, we can argue um, round and round uh, about whether or not there is, if a, if there is a God. I obviously uh, fall on the side that there is. Um, but I, I do want to pose for you, if you're struggling with this narrative so far, I do want to pose the, this, the thought process for you that that I want you to just think about this logically. If there is a God, I just need you to garner me the support that we're going to assume there is. If there is a God who's all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, all-good, who structured and ordered the framework, who set it into motion, who sustained it, and sustains it to this day, then chances have it we should probably follow the way of that God. That, that, that God in his goodness and his sovereignty and his wisdom probably knows what's best for us and best for the world, but so often we don't do that. You see, God is goodness. God is life. God is the author of life. And this is far more severe than just badness entering the world. Like, we're surrounded by, by not good things, by people doing things that you just look at and you go like, oh, that's probably not the, the best way to go about that. This is, this is far more than just bad actions. Romans describes it as this. The wages of sin, the thing that you reap or you earn for sin and for disobedience is death. Death. Not badness, but death. And so when, when we disobey God's created order, when we do things that aren't uh, the, the thing or the way that God intended us to live, when he ordered and structured the, the universe, because he is the author of life and he is good, when we, when we disobey that author of life, Death enters the equation. So it's not bad and good, it's dead and alive. We move from aliveness and withness with God to death. And not only that, we then take a step back from the created purpose of humankind to go, I created you in my image to reflect and magnify myself, God, for the whole world to see. And when we enter that disobedience and that imperfection into the equation, our image is like they just put a big smudge over the thumbprint. You go, I can't quite make, what that, make out what that is anymore. 
So what happens next in the, the account of creation is that the, the man and the woman are booted out of the garden. Not by any means because God's like, oh, I'm sick of you. Let me start over. Let me, let me, I, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe that, that you disobeyed. Get out of here. I don't want to ever see you again. But no, we've talked about this several weeks, that God's holiness demands holiness. And when you introduce unholiness into the equation, God is an all-consuming fire, and, and it, was a, it was a move for the safety of the man and woman. Saying, get out of here. I'm not going to forget you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. But you can't, there has to be some distance here because of this disobedience. Because, again, God is an all-consuming fire. I talked about this um, with uh, the barbecue sauce. If I spill barbecue sauce on my shirt, my shirt becomes dirty. If I spill barbecue sauce on a hot coal, the coal does not become dirty. The barbecue sauce becomes consumed. And this is how it is with God. So he kicks him out of the garden. And then uh, if you look back to this children's book that I was talking about, um, it says that God in that moment, because he wasn't saying, he wasn't going, I'm going to forget about you, let me start over, X, Y, Z. In that moment, he, he enacts what the children's book uh, in Scripture points to, the idea of God's great rescue plan. That he loved his creation, that he didn't want to be far from his creation. And in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we even see this promise. Like in the first three chapters of the Bible, things went from good to bad to uh, headed uphill again. We went from creation and beauty and goodness, and then it moves on to disobedience and sin and separation in the relationship. But then God in chapter 3 verse 15 promises because the, the deceiver was in the form of a snake. And he's looking at the man, he's looking at the woman, and he says, I'm going to send an offspring of this woman. I'm going to send someone who is forever going to crush, crush the head of that wily deceiver. And that'll be the end of the story. The intended relationship of presence with God and enjoyment of God and just being with God without worry of uh, being consumed or like uh, all of those things, the intended relationship, God said, I'm going to restore that. And so what happens next is much of what we've been journeying through. We've journeyed through, like God said, here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a people. And I'm going to say, you guys are my representatives here on the earth. You guys are the intended image bearers here on the earth. You guys are the ones that when people look at you, they're going to see, uh, again, just a fraction, because we're still working with this marred image. But my hope is I'm going to set you apart to be a holy nation, a holy people. And I'm going to say that when the rest of the world and their brokenness and their sin and their disobedience and their living outside of the realm of how I created the earth, when they look at you, they're going to see a glimpse of my goodness. This is Israel. They're going to see a glimpse of this is how I created the world to be. And so he chose a people. He gave them a place. He said, live here, and through you, through you, I'm going to have this offspring of the first woman. And through you, I'm going to enact this redemption plan. And through you, I'm going, to, I'm going to redeem what was lost in the first disobedience of the world. 
But because their hearts were far from God, sometimes they got it really right. Sometimes they just knocked it out of the park and they, they, uh, they worshiped God and they honored him and they followed him. And then other times, uh, like it says in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes and they didn't follow God and it was a mess. And you had really ugly, nasty situations. And like we're talking about the depths of depravity inside of God's chosen people. And so they, they did good for a little while, and they would repent, and they'd turn back to God, and then they'd, uh, eventually they'd, they'd completely fumble and mess it up again. And they'd go, you know what, we can't do this. We've got to follow God. We, we trust that he's loving and he's good, and so we're going to follow the ways of God. And they'd do it for a little while, and then eventually they'd, they'd screw it up somewhere along the line. And eventually it became uh, pretty, uh, pr- realized pretty quickly that uh, there was going to have to be something else done. Now, again, this isn't a surprise to God. God promised all the way back at the beginning that I'm going to send someone to make right all of this. The, the, the way of Israel was never intended to be a long-term solution. It was intended to go, I'm going to begin to set in motion the rhythms of life and the, the, what it looks like to follow Yahweh, what it looks like to follow God, the creator of everything. I'm going to set in motion those rhythms now, and then eventually I'm going to do it fully through the offspring of the woman, through this person that I've promised but they can't get it. And so God says, listen, we had this covenant of love with one another and you have just failed time and time again. The option could have been, because the wages of sin is death, the option could have been just total destruction. Let me wipe the the slate clean and let me start over with a new chosen people. But instead, he goes, that land I gave you, someone's going to come take it over. You're going to have to go to Babylon you're going to have to go learn what it looks like to, to live there under a foreign occupation. You're going you're gonna to have to learn to what it looks like to go live in a, a way that's not necessarily friendly to me. But I'm not going to forget about you. I'm not going to leave you. There's going to be a moment where I, I bring you back to the promised land and I'm going, to, I'm going to restore you. And again, we're going to continue on with this rescue plan that one day there's going to be someone There's going to be someone that restores what was broken, that redeems what was far away. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 9, the book of Daniel. Daniel, it begins with that he's uh, having this uh, realization. Jeremiah, one of his contemporaries in the exile, uh, is a prophet. And he prophesies, predicts, uh, foretells that, hey, this, this exile is going to last for 70 years. And it says that that comes to Daniel's mind, like, okay, I heard, I heard Prophet Jeremiah uh, prophesying about this. And so uh, Daniel's kind of doing the math, and he goes, well, we're kind of coming down the pipeline on that. Have we? We're coming down the pipeline on that, and I don't know if we've done anything to, to make up what was lost and, and broken. I don't know if we've done it. And so we just see Daniel just lay it out uh, to, to go before God. And Daniel recounts exactly what we've talked about up to this point. Um, except he's not in, in our, it's really easy to read back through it and go, oh, Daniel's just like kind of giving this historical narrative of here's what happened for the readers. Let me catch you back up. Almost like a, if you begin a Netflix show, I've noticed they've started to do like last time on like, this is not that. This, what we see is we get a glimpse in God's grace. We, we get a glimpse of Daniel going before the creator of everything. 
And uh, here's what he says. Let's pick up in verse pick up in verse 3. It says, So I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel's posture, going before God, is saying, listen, I'm going to lay, I'm mourning, I'm regretful, I'm sorry. This grieves my heart, because I know it grieves your heart, God. And I prayed to the Lord God, and I confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, You are God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Which sounds good, like he's he's focused on the attributes of God. Here's who God is, here's what he does. But then he's quick to say, we have sinned and done wrong. Notice here that, that he's going before God as like a corporate reality. As one of the leaders, as one of the prophets, he's going before God saying, we have just, as a people, we've just royally messed it up. We know that you said, okay, live by this way, I'm going to redeem it. But we've just screwed it up time and time again. He says, we have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws, the laws that lead to life and human flourishing. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke to your name, uh, your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And he goes back to God's attributes. He says, You, Lord, are righteous, but today we are covered with shame. Why? The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. And Daniel's realizing here that the the exile, them being scattered from the land that God had promised them, is is a direct result of their unfaithfulness. But then, he realizes that God is not... God is not only a just God. Like, if he was only a just God, we would get the consequences for our actions and nothing else. But So God is a just God. We cannot disclude that. God is a just God, but God is not only a just God. What does he do here? He says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept those laws uh, through his servants, the prophets. And this is just, again, for God's people, is baked into their culture, baked into their identity. And it just, he's, he's here quoting Exodus 34 when God describes himself. So he's praying. He's talking back to God about who he is. He says, uh, in Exodus, it says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, and this is how he defines himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a compassionate, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness wickedness and rebellious and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children 
uh, for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And so Daniel here is reflecting on like, God, I am trusting in this moment when we have royally screwed up, in this moment where we could not get this covenant with you right, in this moment where time and time again, after you've given us chance after chance after chance, in this moment, God, I am leaning on your mercy and I am leaning on your forgiveness because I recognize that again, you could do this and I would cease to exist. You are powerful, God. But I am trusting what you have said about yourself, that you are slow to anger, that you will forgive what we've done wrong. And this grace is something that we can experience too. Because I don't know if you know this, but you take a look around, you go, the world is still broken. This wasn't just a reality back then, but instead it's a reality that we have to live with uh, here and now today. That, that the world isn't as it should be, that, that our image, that, that thumbprint of God's goodness is, is marred on a lot of our lives. But it's through, if the wages of sin is death, it's through uh, us trusting in the work of Jesus that because we all deserve death, we all deserve separation uh, from God, but there was someone named Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserve in the wages of sin being death. He took it upon himself He took upon the sin and disobedience of the world, even though he didn't have any sin or disobedience in or on him. He actively said, I'm going to die the death that collective humanity deserves. So that by trusting in that death, by saying, I trust that your death, Jesus, gives me access back to the creator of all creation, to the creator of the universe, to the lover of my soul. That that image can be restored. That that relationship with God can be restored. That, that then we can go give away that goodness and love to our neighbors. That God, I am trusting in that act of death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And I am committing my life to living by the way of Jesus. The, the way that Jesus modeled for us, that he taught for us. And says, this is the way of life that God intended. By trusting in that death and living in the way of Jesus that we can experience a new life. Because if the wages of sin is death, uh, the gift of God is eternal life. But then he says in in the book of John, he says, "I, I hear, I came not to give you just life, but life abundant. And so we have access to two things. We have access to eternal life, like both in quantity and quality. Eternal meaning forever and ever and really, really good. But then this abundant life here and now that if your life just feels messed up, broken, or not as it should be, it can be better. Not that we're going to iron out all the pieces and that your business is going to go uphill. And I can't promise all of that. But what I can promise is that, again, the creator of the universe and the lover of your soul will be present with you in the heart. And you have access to both of those things. Eternal life forever and ever, really, really good. An abundant life here and now that's just bursting at the seams with what? With goodness. With goodness. And this is what Daniel's saying here. We have royally messed up. We've screwed up. We've been disobedient. We've done all of this stuff. 
but Jesus, it's not saying Jesus here, but like God, we're, we're trusting in your forgiveness. We're trusting in your mercy that you could so easily go and we'd cease to exist, but we're trusting that your forgiveness and your mercy will wash over us. And that's the invitation I offer us today as we re-examine what the gospel is. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were far from God. Caution says we were, in, we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Like we were, there was some physical separation and there was some spiritual separation. But God, the source of all goodness, offers us a roadmap back to Him. What's the roadmap? Again, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the way of Jesus, it's the death of Jesus, it's the resurrection of Jesus, it's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And that we don't have to be distant anymore. We don't have to be far away. We don't have to be uh, totally disconnected. But instead, we can experience life. Both eternal and abundant.